I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and today is a very special episode of The Watch. Jonathan Groff from Mindhunter dropped by to hang out with me and Andy for the entire episode to talk about his Netflix show Mindhunter, which the first season's up on, on Netflix right now. Uh, we did not get into specific spoilery stuff. You know, if, you've, if you're midway through the season, you can definitely listen to it. If you've only watched a couple episodes, you can definitely listen to it. But we did get very in-depth about what it was like to shoot this show, to shoot it with David Fincher, how it came to him when he was backstage at Hamilton, uh, where he was a member of the cast when it was on its Broadway run. This guy is awesome. He has such a great uh, way of looking at this role and uh, it was just a delightful conversation. So we're really happy to present this conversation that we just had with Jonathan Groff from Mindhunter. Thursday, we will be back. We'll be talking about pre- probably previewing the uh, the second season of Stranger Things. So make sure you tune in for that on Thursday. Until then, here's our conversation with Jonathan Groff of Mindhunter. So we'll get to that before the end of this. This is oh good. This is the kind of intimate journalism this podcast is known for, and who better? Yeah, for this fact finding mission to cover intimacy, right? Than our guest, the star of Netflix's Mindhunter, one of our favorite shows, Jonathan. Groff. My favorite show of the year. Wow, you're ready to say it. I'm there. You haven't oh even finished. God. I got there. Yeah. Wow. Wait, you haven't even finished, and it's already your favorite show yeah. of the year. What about the last That's episode true. when we find out that it's all a dream? <laughs> this is all of a, a, a trailer for Stranger Things season a, two. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like uh, the Bob Newhart show, where really just like we wake up in bed with her, and it's no, you wake up in bed on the set of Looking, <laughs> and I'm like, hey, our friends are back. Exactly. Um, welcome back to the show, Jonathan. You Thank were here. You. you were nice enough to come and talk to me about Looking a few years ago. Yes. Now we're here to talk about. Um, well, Mindhunter, also obviously other things yeah. as we get to it. From but gays to serial killers. It's what, what could be yeah, what It's could a logical be leap. Well, <laughs> let's get right into it because we are obsessed with the show. We love it. We're so happy you can talk to us about it. But I kind of want to set the scene for a bunch of people. Okay. Also because I'm curious. Let's go back in time. Let's say January, February, a cold New York evening. Uh-huh. You're backstage at the Richard Rogers Theater. <laughs> There is a lot of time between King George appearances and Hamilton. Yes. You make the most of your appearances. Both of us saw the show and think it's incredible. But that was such a humble brag. That was like the most (laughs) vanilla thing we can possibly say. This is like a love This is all this is all. Not sure if people ever bring that up to you. I like LaCroix water (laughs) and I like Hamilton. (laughs) And I like a little pumpkin spice around the holidays. Um, You're backstage. And I imagine at some point, an email crosses your your transom that says David Fincher wants to talk to you about a serial killer show. Wow, you are nailing it right this, now because that is exactly what happened. Is that, is that really true? Yes. This I, I this is you're so good in this part, and it's so exciting to see you in this part. But I imagine on some level you must have been like, I'm sorry, what is this again? Yes. Well, I'd met David seven years before when I auditioned for The Social Network. Oh, I auditioned yeah. for the Justin Timberlake part, uh, Sean Parker. Sean Parker. Yeah. Can you do your, you know, it's cool, a billion dollars reading for us? No, I don't even remember the lines. What is the line? <laughs> it's like, he's like, you, you oh, know you know what's cool? cool? Right. A billion yeah. dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was good. That's wow. Right. Yeah, that wow. Yeah. <laughs> <I got> chills. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> me too. Uh, so I flew to LA like seven years before and sat with Fincher and it was like a long, hours long audition process. Hmm. And in that moment, I fell in love with him and fell in love with his brain and was just like, so taken by him 
Obviously, I didn't get it. Lost it to Timberlake again. Uh, First, the Super Bowl is the same, right? right? Exactly. Yeah, it was between me and him, and yeah. now it's a Timberlake um, Super Bowl. But what can you do? Year. Yeah, maybe in seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I saw David Fincher on the email, I was like, "Yes, I want to audition." It came for directly this. from him, or was no, it like, no? Yeah. It was like a, a new David Fincher project for Netflix. You know, read these materials and let us know if you would like to audition. Mm-hmm. So I just said, "Yes, I would like to audition." Before reading the materials, because it's David Fincher, that's a no-brainer. And I was backstage at so, the Richard so Rogers. You're looking for something yes, to read anyway. Looking for something to read, <laughs> yeah. and now I'm just reading these long interview scenes with serial killers. <laughs> and I thought, wow, this is intriguing. And then I put myself on tape uh, with Julie Schubert in New York, the casting director. And then came out like the next day. Lorraine Mayfield, who's the LA casting director of the show, was like, Fincher loved your tape and wants to meet you on Monday on your day off from the show. So I flew on the Monday to go sit with him, and we talked about it. And I had done like a bunch of audition scenes on the tape in New York and I'd brought them all with me mm-hmm. and had dressed like a Mormon in like a suit with a tie because it's the, what the character does. Mm-hmm. And I walked into his office and he was like, you can put the sides down. I loved your tape. I remember you from seven years ago and the part is yours if you want it. I just wanted to talk wow. about like that this Whoa. could be a couple of years if it goes well and are you ready to live in Pittsburgh? And, uh, and I was like what it's kind of like actually the end of the fourth episode of Mindhunter where they, <laughs> they, they find out they have the funding yeah and they're like nodding right. but they're like holy shit is in their a, brain is it a little bit also like the end of the seventh episode when you find out the person you're talking to is wearing high heels and you're like I don't know how I feel about this or am exactly. I is that a, is that a re- exactly and it was like I had an erection but now that's the opposite of that actually yes it is yeah it was like you were testing us we have seen the show yes you have that's good uh, so yeah, he's, you know, it was so exciting to, it's like a dream to, to sit with someone like him and have him talk about the show and then, you know, left Hamilton early and went to Pittsburgh and was in Pittsburgh for 10 months, uh, shooting it. Okay. So as a Pennsylvania native, mm-hmm. all three of us, yeah. although from different parts of the state, we're Philly, Philly, Philly Lancaster. Yes. Yeah. Pittsburgh, yes. Pittsburgh actually, the, the, are you okay living in Pittsburgh for a long time? I'm pro-Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's kind of come nice around town. recently, right? Let's have like a little bit of a Pittsburgh Tote. <laughs> I think you could coin that phrase, <laughs> yeah, actually, because sure. yeah, just... it's very true. They're, it's like kind of hipstery now. It's yeah. kind of like mm-hmm. Williamsburg. There's like cool coffee shops and mm-hmm. restaurants, and it was the perfect place to work because... It's so quiet. I lived right along the Allegheny River in Lawrenceville. And so at night, going home to learn lines and stuff, it was not like New York where you're constantly, there's constant distractions. But there's amazing restaurants in Pittsburgh. So you could, it was a great place to work because you can focus on your work. But then there's like, they're really into their sports. So we we all went to a hockey game and a football Mm -hmm. game and a baseball game. And then the restaurants there are incredible. And you have everything there. You get everything you order at every restaurant. You can actually have French fries put inside of it. That's also true, which, which is really excellent. Yes, I mean it is like you guys are both so thin to be from Pits- from Pennsylvania because like <laughs> I'm from that more like fat dairy farmer like string of folks. Well, you gave us Utz potato chips. There's a couple yeah. things. Yeah, that that's did. true. Yeah, I gained Don't weight short. so fast. So like it was really that was one of the challenges of living in Pittsburgh was like I just wanted to get fat and I couldn't. I was actually going to ask that about that because you guys didn't. Do not treat your bodies great on the show, just like in terms of the eating, you know, like, it, it, and I imagine, and I want to get into like all the, the Fincher lore. Do you have to do like 101 takes of eating one bite of a cheeseburger? 
I, Holt, my co-star who plays Bill Tench, uh, who's amazing, he had more more trouble with that because he just, in his character, was eating more in the yeah. scripts. And he was also smoking. Mm-hmm. And so for him, the multiple takes with the smoking got like really got to him yeah. and he would like stand up and be like I feel like I'm gonna throw up for me because my character is so fastidious oh, I was yeah. rarely ever eating sure more like just focused on the task at hand you have so like a schlitz exactly yeah. exactly yeah. yeah that's so true <laughs> one of my favorite things about the show in terms of the period details and the production is that it really captures a moment in america's history where the only meal served at any restaurant was a steak with a baked potato yes anywhere you go yeah even if it's not a place of business that normally makes food they will serve you a yeah. steak exactly with a, mashed, with a baked potato which is just it's personally beautiful. my dream i just like <laughs> would always want. love a steak with a baked potato but that's again my pennsylvania roots so you 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 meet fincher you you get you get the you get the role amazing you know like just right off the bat like that um what's the difference between fincher in the courtship process and fincher on set his personality is consistent at least in my experience in every aspect of the process even in that audition that i had with him in the social network it was hours long meticulous really a deep investigation and i ended up not getting it but it was still a memorable experience and that is how he is with the crew and the writers and in rehearsal and in post-production and in editing and on the set directing he just he is so into it. I mean, that really is what it is. He's not like this insane genius, like petting a cat, like Dr. Evil, <laughs> making you do things over and over again and yeah. you don't know why. It's very practical and pragmatic. And if we are doing... Mul- and, and he gets wrapped for like doing multiple takes. And yes, sometimes we do lots of takes and sometimes we don't. It just sort of depends on... He wants to do it in as many different versions as he can and cover it with as much coverage as he can so that he has as many options when he goes. It's just very practical when he goes to edit it. And he inspires this kind of like, like when it was over, for example, I thought the crew was going to be like, oh my God, thank God. That was so hard. (laughs) That was so hard. Because he asks a lot of everybody. Yeah. And especially of the crew has got, everyone's got to be on their A game. But the crew was all saying, and I felt this way too, you know, God, he really reminds you why you did it in the first place. Yeah. Because he has this like love and passion and he raises the bar so high and expects so much. And so it's like those teachers in school that were really hard on you and you end up remembering them and loving them the most because they really pushed you and brought the best bought the best out of you. That's that that's what he's like. The attention to detail you're talking about, um, makes me think of one of the aspects of the show that I admire the most. And I think this is a credit to his style, or maybe I could draw the line between his style and the choices you make in your performance. Because the thing about Holden right from the beginning is that no one um, looks away from the fact that his interest in this is curious. That yeah. there is a, for all the talk of uh, sociopaths and, and pathology, and there's there's an element, especially in the beginning, in those incredible early scenes with um, Edmund. Yeah. Uh, where you're wondering, how is this guy ticking? Like, what makes him tick? Mm-hmm. And neither of you seem to have any qualms about allowing us into that. Right. That this could be going multiple ways. Yeah, you know, totally. That, that there's something not necessarily admirable or heroic about I was, the... I mean, the same thing. It's like, I, you always hear, like, actors are always like, I go into a scene and I'm like, I have to know what I want. You know, like, the, I, the, I, want, I need to know what my character wants from this scene. But I never know what Holden wants. Because it seems like he's discovering it. Right. At any, like every second is like a new 
he's like a newborn baby. Everything he's <laughs> no, but it's it's, right. it's like this is what what makes this show so fascinating is it's not just like I'm gonna play a part and trick this guy into telling me what I want to know. It's like no, I Everything can't tell be. what he wants. Yeah, right. That's so interesting and. I felt even watching it back because we do so many takes and so many different versions of things. Ultimately, it's David's, the whole thing is David's creation. So on set, I would show up, you know, ready, like lines memorized, ready to bring the A game. And you would do the all the different versions of the things. But it wasn't until I watched it back that I sort of understood the story that David was telling. And he would show us, like, as... As we were going along through the months in Pittsburgh, you know, we'd shot the first two episodes first Mm -hmm. and he was cutting them together and showing us pieces of them. And I was learning just as much about the character watching his edited version of the things that he put together than when we were doing it on set. Can you give an example? What did you learn from what he showed you, even though he's showing you you? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that he talked about with me early on was he said, you know, as an actor, you, you, you learn... As an, you know, as an actor in the world, you learn how to have ease in social situations and you know how to be charming and you're an, uh, just innately, I'm kind of a people pleaser. And he said to me, this character does not have nearly enough self-awareness to have those qualities that you have naturally, sort of a warmth and an ability to charm people. Uh, he's not like that. He's just not... That's just not who he is. So that articulated it itself very early on, and it became the our running joke uh, between the two of us, where he would tell me to stop smiling because I would <laughs> smile even unconsciously, and I, I'm smiling right now. Yeah. And there's in life, I'm a smiler, mm-hmm. and it's this weird subconscious thing that I that he sort of zeroed in on with me and pointed out, and so we, he'd be like, "Okay, and we're rolling," and Jonathan stopped smiling, and you're still smiling. You're still smiling. Okay, and action, right? <laughs> and so when I watched the first episode back when we were into like the first, um, into the first like or second month of shooting and he was showing it, showing us pieces, I had this revelation about the character that, that he's having this kind of existential crisis and, and that he's kind of having this existential crisis and this sexual awakening mm-hmm. with his girlfriend, Debbie, while he's interviewing these psychosexual killers. And so it's this journey of self-discovery, but for someone to have their, their like, uh, personal revelations while talking to these people in these jail cells is such an interesting, bizarre, fucked up, uh, thing it's one of the most perverse aspects of the show that yeah. access to these kind of minds are giving this this the try the straight arrow characters permission to experiment yeah. with their thoughts and emotions and feelings and it's allowing the tench uh holden relationship to be what it is it's allowing him to consider although in no spoilers music therapy for his son yeah, right <laughs> you know that all of these things the once you start to let in the gray then yeah. there's no there's no keeping it out and since totally. so much of it is like the semantics of deviance you think that comes up a lot during the season is like well what do we consider deviant behavior what do we mm-hmm. consider deviant behavior and then when you when you have to go to the killers you want to know you want them to articulate that but you also want to say to them but you're you're normal. You're like you want to make them feel safe enough to talk, yeah. While also extracting what you need from them to set up yeah. this new language of like this new kind of criminality, right? Right. And it's complicated because what we're doing when we go in there is faking empathy mm-hmm. in order to understand them. Because 
they're so disgusting and deplorable and subhuman and what they've done is just so horrific that the idea of going, well, but maybe they did it, you know, maybe there's reasons why they did it. It's like, yeah, yeah, you're like, really? Are we going to spend any time talking to someone that's done something that's cut off their mom's head and like fucked her neck? Uh, that's not a spoiler, but it's not, it's not a spoiler. <laughs> that's an that's historical record. Happened, yeah, in, in the seventies. Uh, and so just you, the seventies. <laughs> I mean, in a way, right? Yeah. Watergate, you know. exactly. <laughs> but then, what does it cost when you fake empathy for those people? And what is, what, you know, can you glean information? And they do glean information. And it's the, it's what's so fascinating about it. It is the birth of criminal profiling as we know it today. Was what happened by these agents going in there and faking it with these guys and learning and them spilling their guts and them learning so much about them and starting to categorize them and put what they did in context and draw parallels and lines and try to save lives with the information that they glean. I'm fascinated um, anytime an actor has to play a role that involves acting, and this is certainly that. The scenes um, in, in the jailhouses, these interview scenes, which I don't mean as a disservice to the rest of the show to say that in many ways they're the high point, um, what was that like as performer, and in this case as performers? Have we just talked specifically about the like the scenes with Edmund and, and that incredible actor whose name I'm blanking on, Cameron Britton. Uh, weird to say, star making turn as a monster, but right. oh my god, he's, yes. he's incredible. Yeah. Oh my god, totally. The, the three of you when you're in the room together. I mean, this also might be the time when Fincher steps in too, because it is like it's like music, the way it's cut, the rhythm of it, the way that that um, Holden and Tench go into a sort of doubles match. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is that dynamic like for you as a performer or for all three of you as performers because you are all acting and then acting as a, while you're acting? That was the, the great, like, magnetic thing to me about the experience as an actor going into it is that you would get to do these long 15-page scenes, which that never exists, and you'd get to play tennis over that course of time with your fellow actors and dive into such deep... Material and so, like when we would do those scenes, those are like you know, like kind of like the centerpiece of the show, or those scenes, like you said. And we would go in an hour and a half, sometimes two hours before shooting. First of all, we would rehearse them on the weekends before, and then on the day on set, we would go in and we would sit. We would go to the set and sit around the table and really go beat by beat. This is just rehearsing them. Uh, because we were going to do so many takes and do so much coverage, we wanted to set up the choreography and talk about all the twists and turns and the corners and curly cues that you take mm-hmm. uh, and the arc of the scene as a whole. And so it was very detailed and uh, specific work. And in that one, for example, scene with Richard Speck um, in the ninth episode, where I say, you know, what gave you the right to take eight ripe cunts out of the world. Uh, and hold that, that is a spoiler. I'm that only is, up to seven. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so. that's a spoiler. <laughs> wow. But it's, it's I thought a, they were still in the world. <laughs> Unbelievable. Go on. They are. Uh, it's like uh, so fun because... It's the it's it's holding the character I play taking a tactic to to get this guy to open up and there's a very specific physical gesture where he kind of and this is one of the thing we were in the room with Fincher and he was like to the actor who played Richard Speck you know what if you just like give up and you put your hands out and your head down 
And then John, and then when the, and, you know, five episodes before Debbie talks about mirroring and how mirroring is a way to get people to open up. And so I lean my arm, you know, across the table and lean and get mm-hmm. right down on the level with him mm-hmm. and say something that's so disgusting, but in the language that he would use. Mm. And so it's like visually, it's the lines, it's the performance, everything is so particular and specific uh, in those scenes. And I think it's what makes them so interesting to watch because when he pitched the show to us, he said, this whole show is people in rooms talking. Yeah. And the question is, can we make that interesting? It's not, and the, the thing that's amazing about the show, and I'm curious whether this jumped off the page or it was something you noticed when you were shooting or even maybe once you actually saw the finished series, is that it's not like anything else that I've seen recently where there's like a central mystery to be solved or um, mm-hmm. any kind of procedural feeling to it, whether it's gonna, they're going to solve another case. Yeah, you guys get called to different towns to solve different crimes at times or consult. But it's much more essayistic. It's like, it's like we're going to talk about the theater of the self or we're going to talk about deviancy or we're going to talk about empathy or these these like almost vignettes about ideas and Mm -hmm. I was wondering how that impacts understanding like traditional ideas about like well okay I'm an an actor and I'm on this arc and I need to get to this point like or was it or was it exciting to kind of be in a in this sort of different kind of storytelling oh my god it was so exciting it's an actor's dream that it's people in rooms talking and you're talking about such endlessly fascinating whether it's interviewing the serial killers or I even love doing the scenes where we're with Dr. Wendy Carr and we're putting uh, a psychological context on everything that the serial killers say. I find it so fascinating and the relief and of, because like, you know, we're in, we're in Pittsburgh, we're making the show. We think it's really interesting, but I think it shows how much respect Fincher has for the audience because it's not a show that you can really watch while you're texting no, or like watch while you're eating. It's something that you really have to lean in for. I would not recommend eating while watching. Right. Show. <laughs> yeah. It might just like set you off. I your had taco food night well. last night and I, <laughs> I did take a break. But actually after I, will, a while. I will say, I assume people listening to this have watched some of it and would agree with me. But one of my favorite things about the show is that it does leave room for things that are more traditional te- TV uh, it doesn't take itself so seriously or preciously that we don't have the travel montage. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know later, what I mean? Later in the episode, later in the that. series, I feel like they, Jonathan got to do some like Krasinski office like mugging, like kind of like in the background, like <laughs> totally. <laughs> but speaking of things that are traditional or not, I, I did want to ask you particularly about the relationship between Holden and Tench because, for me, that is what made me double down in my investment in the show and I've just loved to see because it is a male professional relationship that is very unique I Mm. think in media and movies or TV particularly because from the beginning it is devoid of false friction these are very different men um, very different backgrounds and very different places in their lives but there is a respect that's there from the beginning even before Tench gives up the golf clubs and starts coming to these meetings Mm -hmm. As this relationship develops over the season, and it's done sparingly and delicately and very gracefully, I would say, the the, the depth of feeling that is allowed between the characters and, I think, in your scene partner and all. Holt McCallany, yeah. The other guy. Uh, <laughs> Holt McCallany. Um, it's, it's, it's really something special. I think it's a combination of things. Uh, the writing was, first of all, really great and really interesting. And just the setup that you have this older, jaded dude... And this young guy, which is a dynamic we've seen before, mm-hmm. but the young guy 
has this kind of revolutionary idea that the older guy can't deny. And Mm -hmm. even though the older guy has kind of checked out and is doing road school and is happy just in cruise control, he also has this curiosity and interest and genuine desire to be good at what he does. And so they end up kind of, there's this respect, like you said, and need for each other. Holden needs him because he's older and more experienced. And he's intrigued by Holden because he's got this like great idea. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's an innate need that sets the dynamic in a different way. Also, uh, a happy accident is that we, for, Holt and I are also very different. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like we sound different, we look different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're like different species. <laughs> so it's a credit to the casting that you put us together yeah. and just innately we're walking down a hallway and it looks like yin and yang. It's mm-hmm. like two complete opposites. And then we shot the show out of order uh, because of uh, seasons. So they wanted to shoot the whole um, sort of like mystery in the middle with the Jandermans mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and the brothers and the sister without giving anything away. Uh, they wanted that to be in fall and winter. So we shot episodes one, it's two. High season at Altoona. Right <laughs> yeah, exactly. <there>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Really amp up the yeah. bleakness of that situation. So we shot one, two, seven, eight, nine, ten three, four, five, six. Oh, weird. And so we explored the kind of, so what happens towards the end without spoiling anything is things get incredibly complicated in the dynamic of the FBI between the agents and tensions grow high. And as we were diving deeper into that, which we did early on, the writers and David and Josh Dunn and our executive producer really felt that it would be important to amp up the bromance in the beginning. Mm. They thought, wow, okay, if we amp this up, and Holt and I had sort of naturally gotten along Mm -hmm. and had a sense of humor with each other, and so they wanted to, they had the opportunity, it was like kind of a happy accident, to shoot these early episodes later. So it was kind of working backwards. Yeah, we should give a shout out to Joe Penhall, who wrote uh, the pilot and a lot of the series as well, right? Because uh, there are these little grace notes that that I appreciate so much after watching a ton of so-called peak TV, where even very very good shows don't uh, don't miss any chance to just inject uh, conflict into a situation. I'm thinking specifically about the the scene when um, Holden and Debbie come over for dinner, yeah. and we see the home life for the first Which time. Which is literally a scene from Lethal Weapon. It's like that's in <laughs> Lethal Weapon. He invites them over oh for dinner, God, and that right. makes them best friends forever. But for you guys, it's like, yeah, like I went to your house for dinner. I got like a little. I got to know you a little bit, but that doesn't but make it us, was awkward. Yeah, but, but there are these little <laughs> yeah. moments where it's not false awkward you know there's yeah. a moment when debbie takes nancy's hand yeah. that is just a human gesture yeah and it's enough in this show you know there's a sense of pacing and a sense of confidence in the storytelling that we didn't need to create fake things she, here take, because she takes her hand and says would you like a baked potato with that yeah. <laughs> and she's hot. like hot always <laughs> and also in that scene too because i watched it's so interesting when you watch it back and because david is so amazing in editing and just tells a focused story in every level. So like watching it edited, edited back was so interesting. And just even as a viewer, when I was watching that scene and we're all sitting around the table and it's so awkward. And then there's this weird moment of laughter where they're like making fun of me about something that it doesn't seem like I was born in Uh Brooklyn and it's not funny, but everybody's (laughs) laughing at it. Yeah. And it just like, it also set me in the time period and that just sort of like repressed. It's just like, there's like this repression that has this release with laughter that doesn't make any sense. But as a viewer kind of in a weird way, put me in the context of the time period. Did you find yourself on the weekends, if you had time off, needing to go to a place full of vibrant color? Yeah, right. Because the palette of the show, (laughs) 
<laughs> Pittsburgh not, in the winter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is so impeccably done, but it is uh, muted. Or did you just drive a, a Plymouth around <laughs> abandoned factory towns? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it was a listening tour. Cry. Do you guys know where the Dairy Queen is? <laughs> <laughs> the DQ? I would on weekends, if I, to be perfectly honest... I would sit alone in my apartment. Very mind hunter. <laughs> this is really mind hunter. That's really good. I was. It was very Holden Ford. Yeah. First of all, I would wake up. I would go to. Oh, what was the place that I would go to? I wish I could remember the name of it because they have the most amazing pancakes. Is it Wawa? It was not Wawa. Wawa. Oh, I this love is a, Wawa. But Wawa it doesn't go west, right? Like there's that other one, Rally it's, or something. So Wawa's in Lancaster, but does it go? Does it go out to Pittsburgh? Wawa's definitely on the highway on the way to Pittsburgh. A, I'm yeah. pretty sure yeah. that I stopped at Wawa. Although, okay. yeah, I love Wawa and I yeah. love their sandwiches. I just yes. feel like it's a safe space when three people at a table can say hoagie. Like, yeah, I just, exactly. I appreciate that. But oh please, my God, right. please go on. <laughs> you were saying, you were saying about, about your lonely weekend. depressing. Yeah. You're depressing. You're I having would basically pancakes just masturbate and cry. Yeah. And pan- right. yeah. I would eat pancakes every Sunday because I was also, because also this is such a dumb actor thing, but when you're shooting for 10 months, you can't gain weight. You yeah. know, you can't, you have to eat, I had to be on a very like specific thing. Also Fincher told me in that initial meeting that I, he was like, can you not get sick for a year? Cause you're going to be basically shooting every single day. So you have to take care of yourself. Like, no problem. I was like, no problem. Yeah, it kind of was. Yeah. I was like, great. Yeah. I can not get sick. And I didn't get sick because I took it really seriously. Did you get sick during Hamilton ever? Cause that's like so uh, physical. So I got sick during Hamilton. It wasn't physical for me cause I was only on stage for nine minutes. You know, it's like, <laughs> I just like walked out and sang one song and left. But I got sick the last week that I was there. Oh, man. And it was so mortifying because I, my entrance, it was like, I remember it was a Wednesday matinee. I had bronchitis, but it was my last week. So I was like, I can't miss on my mm-hmm. last week. I've done this whole run. Yeah. And were, I want to be the there public. for every show. Yeah, right. I was at the public. And it was a Wednesday matinee. And my entrance applause was louder than the applause at the end of my song. <laughs> <laughs> They were like, okay, yeah, I guess that was... You can go now. <laughs> we're good. Exactly. Obama's like, a little pitchy. Yeah. yeah. It's all right. Exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's better. I'm glad right. you mentioned yeah. getting sick during Hamilton because this is something I've always been fascinated with, which is um, actors and theater people in general, of which I was a recovering member of that tribe. Generally, people who are very forthcoming with how they're feeling and if they're feeling a little sniffly or like, the, you yeah, know, right. maybe get sick. And yet, to do a show... Six, how many shows a week? On Eight Broadway? shows a week, yeah. Eight shows a week. You can't. You just kind of can't. So how does that happen? Do, is it literally that you can somehow psychologically, due to the demands and expectations of performance, not get sick for 10 months, and then are you then sick for five months? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, does it, really? yeah it kind of does happen that way. It's also why on the day off I would eat pancakes and and like sit alone on my couch and just like... Whew, just like breathe and sleep and watch The Crown. I did that. I remember doing that. Uh, is, but, are pancakes in the same way chicken soup is the Jewish penicillin? Or exactly. Pancakes the Lancaster <laughs> penicillin? Yes, completely. Like the a, Amish penicillin? Yeah. soft pretzels. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A little, little scrapple on the side. There's something about not eating sugar for six days a week that like all I wanted was pancakes <laughs> yeah. in the day off. But yeah, you you really have to, it's like it's like being a professional athlete, whether it's whether you are shooting for 10 months or doing eight shows a week. Uh, you have injuries, you learn how to work through your injuries, you learn how to negotiate when you're sick and be able to sing. Sometimes you have to take time off or else you'll hurt yourself. But, but you know, it's really, it's really intense. Was there any mental punishment? I mean, not the, the show itself has a, an, a storyline about like, mm-hmm. you cannot help but let this get under your skin. And almost if you don't, if it doesn't get under your skin, you need to check yourself and think about what's wrong mm-hmm. with you. But as an actor, did it get under your skin? 
Or were you fascinated by it? I was fascinated by it. The characters that we got to play were so interesting, and the and the dynamics were so interesting. John Douglas, who wrote the book Mindhunter, talks a lot in his book and in the emails that we've shared with Holt, that he shared with Holt and I, about the physical and emotional toll. And I, we're actors. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes, Cameron is incredible and was scary, whatever. But then we would joke around between mm-hmm. takes, and and it's it almost seems to me disrespectful to even compare sure. the idea of like getting dressed up in a costume as like a makeup artist is like is like giving me bags under my eyes, you know, Gigi, <laughs> to the to the actual person who talked to the serial killers, and even more than that, John Douglas talks about being affected by talking to the victims, mm-hmm. and and he had a mental breakdown and was in the hospital, and to this day suffers, you know, physical and mental trauma from the reality of that situation. So I can't even imagine what that is like. And I know I'm an actor uh, because being on set, working with David, getting to play really interesting characters and tell a story like this one was is a gift. Hey guys, we'll get back to our conversation with Jonathan Groff in just a second. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. I tend to leave things to the last minute, but if you do that for Halloween, that means you end up rummaging through the dregs of the party store bins, trying to scrounge up a costume that'll work. Like, okay, I guess I'm just going to be the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man again for the fifth year running. But when it comes to booking a hotel, being last minute actually works in your favor, as long as you've got the Hotel Tonight app. You can play it by ear and see how your Halloween goes. Maybe you need to ghost and find somewhere to escape to, though. Or maybe you'll find the Bonnie to your Clyde, or the Clyde to your Bonnie, for that matter, and want to keep the night going. Exciting stuff. Or if you're the type who started planning your Halloween costume on November 1st of last year, and you like to have things locked down ahead of time, you can actually book a room on Hotel Tonight up to seven days in advance. Even book up to 100 days in advance in certain cities. With Hotel Tonight, you'll bag a sweet deal at a killer hotel. Whether you need a room for today, for Halloween, or beyond, you definitely want to download the Hotel Tonight app. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. With three mattress models, the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential, Casper mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. Not to mention, the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. And it's delivered to your door in a small how-do-they-do-that-sized box with free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. The best part is you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. After all, you spend one-third of your life sleeping, you should be comfortable. I love the Casper mattress. I've been sleeping on it since I got it last year, I think. But it was great to know that, you know, you go to these mattress stores, you get like 15 minutes, you have to make a decision on a mattress. You know, does it give? Does it too soft, too firm? Casper, you don't have to worry about that because you get this trial run where you can just make your decision having like a great sample size of data to go off of. So start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash watch and using watch at checkout. That's casper.com slash watch. Offer code watch for $50 off your mattress purchase. Terms and conditions apply. I know Netflix likes to be cagey about these things, um, but you did say at the beginning that Fincher said there's a chance that you might be spending more time in Pittsburgh. 
it, so at least without saying anything about renewals or whatever, or your plane tickets set back for Altoona this winter, this was designed with more, clearly there's more story to tell and more, more runway ahead of you for these characters should powers that be decide to allow you to do that. Exactly. Yeah. And I love that. I love that the, it's so frustrating for me on television shows when you feel like they're being conservative at the end of a season mm-hmm. yeah. and sort of like careful of like, well, maybe we will, or maybe we won't come back. So let's just play it safe at the end of, and you know, when, when we made the first season and we still don't know if we're going back for another one, but they really just let it all hang out there. And to me, when I watch the show back, I think, wow, how are they going to, where are they going to go from here? Yeah, right. If they continue writing that. And I love that to me, that's just bold, uh, storytelling at the end of a first season where I think, how do they pick up from here? It's just, it takes a lot of balls to, to do that as a writer, I think. I know the show's only been out for a, a short time, but I, I have to ask this because I think your career is terrific and fascinating because you have passionate fans in very diverse yeah. segments of society. Um, because, Serial killer fanfic. Well, this is what we're getting to because... I, I'm wondering if let, just let's throw a hypothetical out to explain this question. So okay. you're you're walking down the street in, in in New York City, and you probably get the vibe. Okay, someone someone recognizes me okay. from a certain you know twenty feet away, and they're coming forward. At what point can you tell if this is a <laughs> yeah. Hamilton fan, a Frozen fan, right? Probably if they're being pushed in a stroller, they're looking a looking fan, <laughs> or somebody saying, "Hey, oh, mind under." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or a you know seven foot tall man in yeah. size fourteen pumps, yeah. like, just like yeah. <laughs> Oh, pizza. Yeah. <laughs> but but you, you, you get what I'm getting at. I here. totally get what you're getting at. Um, the annoying and boring answer is that I don't really get recognized on the street that often. Kids that are fans of Frozen, their mom, it's usually their moms. Right. And they're like, this is Kristoff. Yes. <laughs> and the kids are like, no, it's not. Yeah. I don't know. They don't understand yes. the concept of the voice thing, yeah. right? Yes. With the gays that live in Chelsea, where mm. I live, some of them love looking, some mm. of them don't. You know, everyone's got an opinion about They're looking. They're all like so American like, sniper. You know? yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Sometimes you get lovers. Sometimes you get haters. Okay. Uh, and then there's like, and then, yeah, the, it's a really eclectic, unexpected mix when it happens, and I never really know. And I was just saying this to my friend, you know, the other day, where she was like, are you ready? Just I feel like Mindhunter, like people are going to recognize mm-hmm. you on the street. But I just feel like I'm such a generic white boy in my look that I don't have like a dis... People just don't stop me on the street. It's just like not a thing that happens. Well, New York, it's like you're supposed to let people walk by. You're not supposed to be <laughs> right. like, holy shit, it's Groff. You know, like, you're, you know. Maybe that's what... Thank you for saying that. <laughs> have you, have it's you, the code of New York. Right. You're the most recognizable it, person. Except the, the times you walk a reindeer through the seats, yeah. through, through the streets. Of, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm sure like, if you've ever been outside. Like, like in a Norwegian. Yeah, yeah exactly. Outfit and had a reindeer. My last question is really uh, I mean, I, I kind of just want to pump you for Fincher stories the whole time, but any times, like, is there B roll or like blooper reel footage from Mindhunter where it's like cut? And then like three of you pull out fidget spinners for your iPhone <laughs> and it's like you're in an Eastern Airlines or a TWA plane, but one of you is like tweeting or something like that. Like, I wish that the bloopers started at cut, but they usually start somewhere between action and cut. <laughs> uh, I had this, there is a blooper reel actually no that we showed at the rap party. Yeah. Because I think it's a couple of things. What, like, first of all, because he's very particular too about 
costume. Yeah. You know, and every costume is meticulously picked out down to the fabric of the suit and the fabric of the shirt. And he didn't want to see a lot of wrinkles in my character's shirts, right? Because Holt is kind of the messy, right. yeah. you know, shirt untucked thing, but I'm the more like the... So I wore these, we call them hold-ups, where they attach my shirt to my socks. Oh, wow. What? <laughs> to keep the shirt straight, you know, when we're walking with no, right? So I'm in this, like, corset. uniform-based <laughs> corset, basically, right? And then, you know, it's it, sometimes the, the material is very dark and serious and intense, and so it's, and it's very serious, the whole thing. So I had, the, it was like a little bit of an epidemic where I would lose my shit and just start hysterically laughing. Also, just something about Holt in general cracks me up. <laughs> He's just, and you'll meet him, I'm sure, at some point. He's just hilarious as a person. Yeah. Uh, so there is a blooper reel and it's a lot of us like, just like losing it in the middle of incredibly serious moments. Who's one time the, I had to like do, yeah. No, you go ahead. You went one time you do what? <laughs> I had to do laps because I couldn't get it back. Because <laughs> this thing happens, and maybe this is happened to you guys, where like ever like all of a sudden it'll, people will laugh, right? And the crew is laughing and it's funny right. and it's like, oh my gosh, it's so crazy. These guys don't right? think we're funny at all. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Then, then we'd be on set and then the crew would stop laughing and then I think it's really funny, right? Because yeah, right. once people start to get annoyed, yeah, because then it's they're like, like trying I'm to go back to, to lunch. Right? Yeah. Exactly. yeah, exactly. I was gonna ask who the biggest, I guess, cut up is the wrong word for serial killers, but who the funniest serial killer on the set was? Oh, great question. Who's the? F I would say. I mean, they were all pretty in it. Like those, you know, with the took taking it very seriously. They all like took like did their research, knew what they were doing. It's so funny because none of them were really cut-ups. Maybe Happy Anderson, who played Jerry Brudos. Yeah. He also, that his character has had that like, fun. horrifying yeah. laugh as well. Yeah. So there was this element of like jovality. Is that a word? Jovality? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Great. Uh, to him. <laughs> we'll Holt to was it. definitely the biggest cut-up okay. on set. He was like always telling really bad dad jokes <laughs> and just like <laughs> making By the way, small laugh. Holt comment. This is my only nit I want to pick. Yeah. The character's 44 years old? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no disrespect, because wow. his performance is one of my favorite of the year, but uh -huh. I'm just saying, I'm staring down the barrel. I'm, that's four years yeah. ahead of me. And is it the seven? Is it the stakes? You gotta get some big potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Because he said in an interview the other day, like, I'm so like grateful that they made me 44. <laughs> so he's like made jokes about that as well. Okay, good. So it's, I don't know, you know, age... People age differently. Honestly, like, my mom is 63 years old. I think she looks 43. You know, yeah. everyone looks different at yeah. different ages, right? Like, mine under 43? Yeah. Or, like... <laughs> I'm just... Yeah, no like, offense, she looks just... 27. Yeah, yeah, she looks... It's, like, 60's the new 40. That's, like, sort of what my mom is offering up. Um, and finally, uh, because we have you here, and I do have a four-and-a-half-year-old daughter, uh, Frozen 2... Yeah, I just started recording it like two months ago. So the work has started. That's the great. work, the great work has begun. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Easy to slip, slip back into those snowshoes? Yeah, because, you know, anytime you work on something the first time around, everybody's feeling each other out and getting to know each other and not on eggshells, but there's like kind of this, you know, when you meet someone for the first time, it's like a, the get to know you game in addition to creating something. And then Frozen was this insane success 
and it bonded all of us throughout the press or whatever, and we've all become very close, the directors and the writers mm -hmm. and the cast. And so now coming back into it, there's this warm feeling of just comfortability with each other personally. You, you've been part of two phenomenons in that way. I mean, Hamilton as well. Uh, any truth to the rumor that Frozen 2 will be the dark part of the trilogy, like Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> oh, yeah. is that oh, my God, I hope so. Temple of Doom. Oh, my God, yeah, exactly. right, yeah. Um, th I'm only allowed to say that I've started recording Frozen 2. I was realizing that. You said that. I was That's like, wow, it, he's yeah. being very forthcoming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that right. is language they have definitely provided for you. They were like, like uh, on the way out of the recording thing, they were like, and by the way, you can say you've recorded it, but you yeah. can't say anything else. It sounds such... Just, I hope you guys Locked like down. reggae. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. get, buckle yeah. up. Yeah. Ready. Yeah, can you, yeah. Jaw is here. Well, <laughs> we're very happy to have you join us. Oh, yeah, thank you for it's so fun. Me. Amazing show. I'm so glad you guys like the show. We love the show. Because I love you guys. We hope you go back to uh, Pittsburgh for <laughs> 10 months. Yeah. Well, if we it's, do, you have to come visit. Yeah. We would. I love French fries. Yeah. Me walk, too. Walk to the Pirates game with yeah. French fries and literally everything. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And the Warhol Museum. Yeah, which was great. Okay, see, so it's good. All right. And our makeup, our makeup, uh, the head of makeup, Gigi Williams, was like a Warhol girl. Oh, no way. Yeah, and she, and so she went to the museum and she was like, I peed on that picture. Because <laughs> you know, he has that famous one with like, yeah. the copper where she was like, I peed on that. She didn't say that about any of the makeup implements. <laughs> yeah. that was She's like, no, that's, that's my thing. Special that cleaning. Yeah. So, and then we can also... At that point, we can also pilot our new podcast, Keeping It PA, with the three of us. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. That's, oh, right. that's actually just, a great idea. I think. Because yeah. that is a thing. Somewhat Keep limited, it you know, demographic. Hugely limited. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> not sure if pods it's, really, like, hit between. It's not going to be very popular. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's okay. That's fine. That's okay. That's not what art is about. You've had these fluke successes, but really it's about. It's about keeping it PA. It's yeah. about keeping it PA. Exactly. That's all we can say. Jonathan, thank, you, thank you so much for joining us. Thank man. you for having me. <laughs> Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Hotel Tonight. You can play it by ear and see how your Halloween goes. Or if you're the type of person who started planning your Halloween costume on November 1st of last year, and you like to have things locked down ahead of time, you can actually book a room with the Hotel Tonight app up to seven days in advance. You can even book up to 100 days in advance in certain major cities. With the Hotel Tonight app, you'll bag a sweet deal at a killer hotel. Whether you need a room for today, for Halloween, or beyond, you definitely want to download the Hotel Tonight app.